0: Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. Government is the problem. This will not stand. This will not stand, this aggression against uh, Kuwait. Indeed, I did have a relationship with Mr. Lewinsky that was not appropriate. America is a strong force for peace. I know the human being and fish can coexist peacefully. And my vice president has shot someone. You smell what Barack is cooking. You didn't build that give you all a big kiss, the women and the men. I'll I'll even kiss the men. I'll kiss those big powerful men. Sit down, you'll hear what I have to say. You're listening to the Oil & Gas Geopolitics Podcast, the show for those who want a spirited, irreverent, humorous, and occasionally informative discussion on the latest geopolitical issues that are impacting the energy sector today. Here is your host, Jordan Driscoll. This podcast is brought to you by T, the Empowerment Alliance. The Empowerment Alliance fights for affordable, clean, domestic, and abundant energy for America's energy independence. They want to keep the politics in this podcast and out of the energy industry. Now, if you want to learn more about what the Empowerment Alliance is fighting for or help support the work they're doing, please visit their website, which will be linked down in the show notes. I can tell you that they are incredibly passionate about promoting America's energy independence And I hope you will check them out and sign up for the newsletter. Uh, They keep the show going. We appreciate that. And we want to show them some love. So by all means, please check them out. See what they've got going on. And if it's something you want to help out with. All right. Welcome to the program, my huddled masses. I am the aforementioned Jordan Driscoll, your diminutive ATM of reckless opinion. We're back. We're here. Grab yourself a cup of coffee. And let's get into it. Now... Uh, first things first, a couple of pieces of housekeeping. Uh, I got a LinkedIn message a couple of days ago from Billy S, uh, who had some very kind things to say about the show. I want to say thank you very much, Billy, for your kind words. I, uh, very much appreciate them. I always enjoy getting to interact with folks that listen, uh, the 13 of you, and I'm always excited to to hear from one of y'all. So thank you so much for reaching out. I, I deeply, deeply appreciate your kind words. Um, also, I uh, would like to encourage anyone who has any questions or ideas or topics you want me to cover anything like that to please reach out to me on LinkedIn or uh, hit me up on my email, my network email here. It's Jordan, J-O-R-D-A-N dot Driscoll, D-R-I-S-K-E-L-L at O-G-G-N dot com. Now, we, um, uh, tomorrow, so I'm recording in the evening as I usually do because I'm a lunatic. Uh, Tomorrow morning, first thing, 4 a.m., I'm getting up. I'll get my four hours of sleep or whatever. And I'll be driving down to Houston from uh, what everyone calls West Texas. I call it Central Texas, but uh, I'm probably wrong on that. But I think Abilene's in the center of the state. I don't care. That's where it's at on a map, okay? Everyone can tell me I'm wrong about that. That's where it's at on a map. But I'll be driving down to Houston first thing tomorrow. Tomorrow, we are going to be recording, or I – well, OGGN has a booth at the uh, Offshore Technology Conference. And I will be – Um, doing a show at the booth, a live show. And what I'm going to do is a little something special. Uh, What I've got is the Q&A episode I've been talking about doing, and i got a ton of great questions. But I'll mean, please keep sending them in because those are are fun to do, and I I like to pepper those in from time to time. But uh, we're going to go down there. I'm going to record that on the floor at the uh, Offshore Technology Conference, and I'm actually going to have a panel of guests, a few of the other hosts on the network are going to join us. We're probably going to have um, business daddy Mark LaCour is going to show up, probably Paige Wilson. Maybe uh, maybe I'll get Joe on here. You know, who knows? I'm going to grab a couple of folks, but I've already talked to, to a few of them, and they're going to they're going to hop on and see if I can get them to open up and share their inner political thoughts. And we're going to tackle some of y'all's questions. So I thought that might be a fun, fun thing to do. So we're going to do that. I think it'll be a lot of fun. Okay, so now that we've gotten the housekeeping out of the way, let's, uh, let's get into our uh, topic of the evening. And that topic of the evening is actually going to take some little bit of guesswork for me to try and figure out where I'm going to land on this. So May 1st, which is known as May Day in some places, uh, is also occasionally known as International Workers' Day, which is a socialist holiday for celebrating the workers of a country and all the fine things they do, laboring for the good of society, if you happen to be in a more socialist country. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're probably thinking, oh, Jordan's going to talk about May Day or International Workers' Day, and there's some sort of a rant that I've got about that, and you would actually be wrong. Now, what you may not know is that May Day is actually in the U.S., technically a holiday. Uh, It's legally known as Loyalty Day. Yes, in the height of the Cold War, President Eisenhower decided the best way to fight off the Red Menace was with a cocktail made out of nuclear weapons and mutually assured destruction, followed by a chaser of let's rename a socialist holiday something a bit more patriotic. Uh, So, in 1955, May 1st was officially declared Loyalty Day in the United States, and it is a federal holiday per public law 85-529. It's a holiday so important that I didn't even know it existed until I was researching this episode. Uh, So, now that you know Loyalty Day is a thing, if you did not give your employees off on May 1st, then you're one, a treasonous piece of shit, and two, probably trying to help the communists win. Now, you're probably going, okay, we're going to talk about Loyalty Day, and we're we're not really. Um, so instead, let's veer off to Cuba. See, Cuba religiously celebrates May Day, being as it's a socialist communist country. They typically throw a massive celebration and parade in Havana every year, and they have done since 1950 when Fidel came into power. In fact, the only time it's been canceled is twice uh, since the 1950s, and that was in 2020 and in 2021 because of COVID, because evidently even the embargo couldn't keep COVID out. So, I saw in the news today that Cuba is canceling the annual May Day Parade in Havana, which typically involves bringing tons of people in from all across the country to the capital to take part in the festivities. The reason for the cancellation is due to massive fuel shortages in the workers' paradise, Uh, The people are waiting in line for literally days at the fuel pumps, and the government has stated the fuel shortages primarily due to two reasons. The first reason is that, obviously, the U.S. capitalist pigs in America and their embargo have fucked things up. Um, Obviously, anything that's bad that ever happens anywhere in the world is the fault of the U.S. And the second reason is because the suppliers of oil to Cuba are not able to fulfill their contractual obligations for imports. Now, I know what you're thinking. Okay, you're going to do a deep dive on Cuba and tell us all about the Cuban situation. And no, you're actually wrong about that, too. You see, this whole thing has been what we call, in the business, a framing device. I need to set all that up so I can talk about my actual topic, which is, of course, Venezuela. You see, Venezuela supplies the vast majority of oil and energy resources to Cuba, um, which makes sense. Venezuela has huge oil uh, production and export capabilities, and they're also in the same neighborhood as Cuba. So they can uh, produce it quite cheaply in theory and cart it off to Cuba very, very readily because, you know, hell, it's it's right there. It's just a, just a boat ride away. So yeah, we're going to talk about Venezuela. So A little bit of history on Venezuela because, you know, we always love to to have our little history sermonette here. So we're going to go back as far as at least the 1800s when the Napoleonic Wars were all the rage in Europe. Now, by 1808, Spain had fallen to the French and, uh, you know, back when the French still won wars. And Joseph Bonaparte, the brother of Napoleon, was placed on the throne of Spain because of, you know, nepotism. Uh, Original hashtag Nepo, baby. So, this caused a power vacuum in the Spanish Empire, more specifically in its colonies. Uh, in Caracas, Venezuela, the Spanish governor general was overthrown. There was a brief civil war that kicked off between the crown loyalists and those who wanted independence. And by 1811, the Congress of Venezuela declared independence. They created the Republic of Venezuela, the Republic of Venezuela. Um, but it was pretty short-lived, and a year later in 1812, it collapsed to the loyalist faction. Now, the following year in 1813, Simon Bolivar led a Republican forces on a guerrilla campaign against the Loyalists. And that resulted in the formation of the Second Republic of Venezuela, which actually also collapsed later that exact same year. Um, now, if at first you don't succeed, declare the Third Republic. And that's exactly what they did. And it lasted from 1817 to 1819. Now, fortunately, the Third Republic didn't fall apart from infighting or get re- Reconquered from crown loyalists, but, but rather they managed to join a union of other nations that had also revolted from Spain and they formed the Republic of Gran Colombia in 1819. Now, uh, cons- the, the Republic of Gran Colombia consisted of modern day Venezuela, uh, northern Peru, parts of Brazil, Guyana, Colombia, and Panama. And, um, you know, there you go. It's a nice little big block of basically the top a uh, quarter to a third of South America in, the, in Panama there in Central America. Now, unfortunately, the Republic of Gran Colombia was doomed to fail. Um, while they might have been very united against a common enemy in Spain, once Spain stopped trying, it became very clear that many of the locals had very different ideas of what sort of government the Republic of Gran Colombia should have. Some of them argued for a more federal style, like the United States democracies, where individual states had a lot of power and the federal government was somewhat limited. Others wanted something to where there was a president who basically served like an elected monarch, someone who had huge amounts of executive power that they could just hand the reins over to. <clears throat> Eventually, these differences became too big to bridge, and in 1830, Venezuela was uh, succeeded from Gran Colombia to form the Fourth Republic of Venezuela, which sort of still exists today, kind of. Okay. So, ultimately, uh, Venezuela would be plagued by a number of strongman-style El Presidentes throughout the rest of that century. By 1899, the fine tradition of military coups had begun, and uh, Capriano Castro and his friend Juan Gomez seized power, and two key things would happen under their leadership. The first is the government would start aggressively going towards a much more centralized and authoritarian model. Secondly, in the 1910s, oil would be discovered, and not just A smattering of oil, but a metric fuck shit ton. A lot of oil. uh, Which would become a really big deal a little later down the road. So, by 1945, there was a civilian-military joint coup that would topple the dictatorship. And they would have their first three years of elections and actual democracy from 1945 to 1948. uh, Where they uh, elected President uh, Gallegos. I believe that's how it said. I uh, Hard to believe that I took two years of high school Spanish, because my Spanish is properly terrible, um, pretty much like all my other languages. I can muddle through a little bit of Russian and a, a smidge of Latin if you put a gun to my head, but that's about all I've got in me. So uh, apologies for any mispronunciations on the Spanish words as we go through this. Anyway... Um, Unfortunately, President uh, Gallegos was overthrown in 1948 with a military junta or junta. I guess maybe that's the way it says. Uh, But anyway, uh, he's overthrown. And in 1958, they install a dictator again because this is a part of the world where, I guess, they just really wanted a strongman dictator. At any rate, uh, the world started going through the oil crisis of the 1970s, and for Venezuela, this was actually a massive windfall. The price of oil skyrocketed internationally, which uh, allowed the president at the time, uh, President Carlos Perez, to have giant amounts of money to the accident. In fact, there was so much money coming in from oil that he decided to partially nationalize the Venezuelan Um, oil industry and flooded the government coffers with oodles of money. Now, the problem was there was a ton of corruption, and government employees were skimming huge amounts off the top before uh, the money ever actually got used in the particularly useful way by the Venezuelan government. So it enriched a whole lot of government officials, but it didn't really accomplish much else. Uh, That being said, by the 80s, there were some very serious problems. As we all know, the oil market is nothing if not cyclical. So by the 1980s, the oil market turns down. All of a sudden, this oil that they're exporting out becomes much less valuable. And um, yeah, the government starts going to an economic tailspin. Uh, They're starting to take on lots of debt to, to float their bills. And of course, it's just not going well for many of them. Now, by the 1990s, a character known as Hugo Chavez emerges as the opposition leader against government corruption. And he's at the head of a hardcore left-wing socialist party who felt that the oil wealth um, of the petroleum industry, one, should have been fully nationalized, and two, was being hoarded by the upper class when it should have been used to the benefit of all Venezuelans. Well, he's at least partially right. It certainly was being hoarded by the upper class in this case. Um That being said, he platformed on a campaign of socialist principles and nationalizing the oil industry and having lots of good social programs putting into corruption, and uh, he came into office in 1999, the office of president, with 56% of the popular vote. So, what all did President Chavez do? Well, among other things, he renegotiated 60-year-old deals with ExxonMobil and Phillips Petroleum to extract higher taxes from them. He fully nationalized the oil industry. He increased regulation, started a process of very aggressive redistribution of wealth. Um, not to mention, he did cut down on what appeared to be quite a lot of corruption, and um, and he also became very active in OPEC and convinced OPEC in general to become a lot more hawkish on prices. Uh, and a lot of Chavez's hawkish marketeering behaviors on oil prices are actually still OPEC policy today. They're still kind of going off of his influence and how they decided. You know, a lot of what led to the Russian-Saudi price war was based around sort of uh, Hugo Chavezian uh Thought processes on how to handle uh, oil prices. Um, So yeah, I mean we're still dealing with the ramifications of, of that today. And you know, spoiler alert, but Hugo Chavez is dead. Anyway, we'll get to that. So. Uh, that being said, there were some other things he wanted to get done. For instance, he wanted some constitutional reforms to happen that would make it easier for him to take care of the people. So he convinced the people to allow a constitutional referendum, and among other things, they made some changes to the party uh, that allowed them to get very creative with drawing electoral district maps, which is a problem we have here in the United States, as a matter of fact. Um Uh, If you haven't looked at congressional district maps, I would encourage you to go do so because it'll make you want to go into an absolute frothing hyper rage. I mean, some of these congressional districts are absolutely insane. And they were doing this very, very hardcore in the late 90s, early 2000s. Um, And to give you an example of just how bad it got in Venezuela, uh, after they redrew the districts, Hugo Chavez Party, which won 56% of the votes, was granted 95% of the seats in the legislature. That's how they district this thing. That with even just over half, they controlled 95% of the Congress. That is insane. That's wild, but pulled it off. So since the Socialist Party controlled the government, they were able to start passing a number of things, including an Enabling Act, which allowed Chavez to rule by decree when it came to economic matters. Um, He also got rid of the second house of the legislature, and he reorganized the government along the lines of Fidel Castro's Cuba. Uh, Basically, Chavez just wanted to recreate his own little workers' paradise here, and was just convinced that all of his socialist, communist ideas were the way to go, and and he was actively working to get it there. Uh, At any rate... Um, and one of the other things that was pretty wild is in 2001, Cuban revolutionary textbooks became re- required reading in elementary schools, and opposite, uh, at this point in time, opposition to Chavez actually started to take root in some small ways. Local governments were replaced with workers' councils, a la the Soviet Union and Cuba, and in 2002, the opposition got to a point that there was an attempted coup against Chavez. He was actually captured and placed under house arrest. And these mutineers had a couple of months where they tried to figure out how to restore the country to, you know, some other form of government. Now, the problem is the coup was not particularly well organized. And a couple of months later in April, counter-revolutionaries swept in. They freed Chavez, put the coup down, and El Presidente was... Right back on top Now he of course claimed The coup was sponsored by Capitalists in the United States Naturally And uh, ironically uh, The you know For all of his bitching about the United States It's ironic that around this same time The US war on terrorism kicked off Which caused a global uh, Increase in the price of oil Which was actually financially Really good for Venezuela So as much as he's bitching about the US um, Are rather you know Excessive foreign policy at the time was putting a lot of money in his pockets Uh, And this allowed him to do a lot more socialist programs And a lot of them with a good bit of success Hell, they paid off their national debt And then proceeded to withdraw their membership from the International Monetary Fund And the World Bank Because fuck capitalist institutions, right? They're never going to need that shit again They will, but, you know, at the time it all seemed great At any rate, in 2006, he even gave a speech uh, to the United Nations where he spent most of his time bitching about President Bush like he was some sort of a jilted prom date. Uh, At the same time, he even started offering highly subsidized oil to New York, Maine, Alaska, and several other northern states during winter in order to prove that socialism was far better for the people than capitalism. The New York Daily News even referred to Chavez as a, quote, oil pimp, which, by the way, sounds amazing. I I want to be that job when I grow up. I want to be an oil pimp. But putting that aside, that is what they call Jabez. Uh And I don't think he really capitalized on um, any of that the way he should have. But, you know, socialist, what are you going to do? All right. So in 2008, he um, uh, also managed to get a Congress to, and it wasn't hard since he controlled it pretty handily, but he did get Congress to pass a constitutional amendment, which abolished term limits. Because after all, he was such an amazing, brilliant leader and his socialist ways were so incredible that why wouldn't they want this guy to just rule forever? And at the time, it seemed really amazing. Oil prices were skyrocketing. Venezuela was flooded with money. Um, to certain people, he looked like the Brilliant magician. Yes, it's very easy to look good economically when there's just lots of money lying around. You can stick a straw into the ground and extract all the oil you want. Um, you know, so by 1910s, you had things like literacy, health care, and standard of living had actually increased all across Venezuela. On the other hand, there were some other problems. Naturally, like most of these socialist Marxist communist regimes, freedom of speech, expression, those started to ...get more and more curtailed, not to mention there were increases in various human rights abuses like torture. They were on the rise. Torture became a very uh, common thing, as were a number of just violent crimes, murders, and all of that. Um, the legislature was effectively powerless to do anything, and what little it did do was just hand more control of the courts over to Chavez. Hell, the murder rate in Venezuela went up five times over the last decade of his his rule. Five times. So to address crime and political dissent, Chavez created a new revolutionary police force that um, would solve the problem. Now, they didn't do a whole lot to curb the murder rate, but they were surprisingly quite good at suppressing dissent against Chavez. It's almost like that's what their main focus in life was. And when Chavez won the 2012 elections, Uh, this was seen as just more of the same, except he was in the process of actively dying from cancer at the time, and so he handpicked Nicolas Maduro as his chosen successor. Now, unfortunately... the economy was starting to turn. Oil prices were dropping, which meant the socialist government which was currently spending just tons and tons of money, but they were now not making the cash to cover it, of course, and they were having to take out lots of debts and all that sort of thing. Uh, And they were taking out some staggering debts very, very quickly. Remember, Chavez actually managed to pay those off a little over a decade beforehand with all the surplus money. Well, now they're racking debt by the billions. Um, And as the economy was tanking, Maduro... uh, kind of came across looking like a bit of a dipshit. Now, the problem is, Maduro, he does objectively suck at running an economy because um, socialism just sucks as as a, you know, real hardcore socialism just doesn't work. Um and so in nothing he was going to do was going to fix this. But uh, his solution was to devalue the currency, to try and curb inflation rates that skyrocketed over 100%. Um, he wanted to continue spending money and resources, both internally and also, during this whole time, continuing to spend money and resources to help prop up uh, Cuba, which was the other socialist country in the region. He, um, at one point, because of just massive lines for everything in the world and the fact that supplies and consumer goods were running out. He even deployed the military and ordered them to seize control of appliance and grocery stores. That's uh, that's, that's really quite a thing, quite a thing. At least the military had some work to do, right? Now, inflation continued to skyrocket higher and higher. It, the Inflation went higher than Harvey Weinstein's blood pressure once the Me Too movement came out. First, it hit 100%, then it hit 275%, then 1,000%. Most economic uh, experts weren't even sure how the fuck it could get that high mathematically, but it didn't stop. It even hit 4,000% by 2017. The price of a cup of coffee in Venezuela was doubling every 28 days. And for anybody that's ever dealt with compound interest, just do the math on that over the course of a year. Pretty soon, you're paying a trillion dollars for a single cup of black McDonald's coffee and hanging yourself in the closet by night. So, Maduro is trying even more price controls. He raises taxes, and then he just decides to stop paying the international debt, and they manage to default on $26 billion worth of bonds. And by by 2020, the inflation hit a new high. Now, if you're not sitting down for this, I'd advise you to do so. The inflation rate in Venezuela in 2020 was 1 million percent inflation. And in fact, I believe, by law, I'm required to say that number like Dr. Evil, so I'm going to do that. The inflation is 1 million percent. That's incredible. I can't uh, even wrap my brain around that. So... As you would imagine, in 2019, a series of massive protests started uh, after an election where Maduro managed to win 65% of the vote. Now, the only problem with this is that he had signed a decree making it illegal for anyone to run against him. And yes, obviously, there's the fact that that's a shit way to run democracy, and um, it's not really a fair and open election if no one's allowed to run against you. But can we also just can we also just sidebar for one second and talk about the other elephant? In that equation You're telling me That in an election Where no one could legally run against you You only managed to win 65% of the vote That fucking sucks How do you only manage to win 65% of the vote When no one can actually compete against you How do you do that? uh. There we go So, naturally, the public is outraged by this election, and they declare Juan Guiardo the new president. And this starts conflict, um, and Guiardo goes and starts a government in exile and starts trying to evade capture. Uh, The U.S., most of Europe, Australia, and most of South America actually recognize Guiardo as the president of Venezuela. Naturally, you can guess who sided with... (laughs) with... uh, not Chavez, with uh, Guiardo, not Guiardo, that's the guy that they were running against, Maduro, uh, you can imagine, imagine if you will, if the U.S. and, and Western Europe and France and, and Australia and Britain are all siding with Guiardo, who would possibly still be standing with Maduro in this whole thing? If you guessed Iran, Russia, and China, you would be correct. Naturally, they were on the exact opposite side, I assume, just because they could. At any rate, fun fact, Cuba even deployed 15,000 troops to Venezuela to help Maduro, and Russia even sent two blackjack bombers and special forces, Spetsnaz, to assist in stopping Guiardo and the government in exile and propping up Maduro's government. Ultimately, it led to nothing. There were some minor skirmishes, but at the end of the day, the attempt to oust Maduro ended with a whimper and not a bang. Maduro remained in office. The economics of Venezuela continue to be an, an absolute freefall, and not even the spirit of Marx, Lenin, Castro, or Chavez is able to save it. And and I have to say this, and this is always my argument to anyone when they try and tell me that communism would work if we just tried it in the right place, if it was just the right time. Listen, here's if anyone ever says that to you, you have my permission to use this argument with proper credit, of course. But here's the deal. If you can't make socialism and communism work in a country that has good weather, excellent agricultural properties, the largest proven oil reserves in the world, and beautiful people, then you can't make communism fucking work anywhere. It just can't. Venezuela has had every advantage that a strip of land on Earth can possibly have. Okay, Russia, you can make the argument, oh well it's gargantuan and it's frozen half the year and it's terrible and the, there's only the only thing to do is to eat beets and drink vodka, sure. Any government you put there is going to have a rough go of it because it's just bleak and, 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 and cold. It's just cold. If you put me there for a long period of time, I'd get very bitchy too and probably very corrupt. Um, oh, Vietnam is all these things, don't have the natural resources, this, that, and the other. Uh, no, Venezuela had all of it, they had everything. They had all the oil of the Permian Basin. They had all the farming land of Ukraine. And they have all the weather of, of a nice place, plus all the people that look like supermodels from Brazil. If you fuck it up there, you just can't make it work anywhere. That's the bottom line, okay? Period. End of story. For all the 18- and 19-year-olds just getting into college that think that socialism and communism is the way, just, it, listen, capitalism's not perfect. It certainly isn't. But I'll tell you what, if you can't get it to work there, you can't get it to work anywhere. And it's not a matter of let's just try and try this again because, oh, the right people haven't done it. No, that's bullshit. It can't be done. Okay, so now that I've gotten that off my chest, I'll also just say this. This brings us back to uh, Cuba, who has, of course, canceled their May Day Parade. And um, why they canceled the May Day Parade? Well, because Venezuela hasn't been able to continue propping them up. Money has trickled to a halt, and also most of the fuel that Cuba gets from Venezuela has trickled to a halt. And, um, you know, when asked about the, the official line of the Cuban government was, well, Venezuela has not been able to fill their contractual commitments because they are also having a very complex energy situation. And if by complex energy situation you mean a Economy that's going tango uniform, a leader who has no idea what to do and refuses to try anything else, then yes, they do have a complex energy situation over there, don't they? At any rate, that is putting it mildly. So I would suggest this to my friends in Cuba, and I don't know uh, i I don't recall seeing that I have anybody listening to the show in Cuba, um, nor do I know that I ever will. But should that happen? I would like to encourage my Cuban brothers and sisters. To have this piece of advice, rather than holding a May Day Parade this year, rather than rededicating ourselves to the imaginary workers' paradise that we think is right around the corner with the global revolution, rather than all of that, perhaps this year you should hold a wake for communism instead. Because the definition of trying the same thing again and again and expecting different results is madness. It's been tried, it's been tested, it has been weighed, it has been measured, and it has been found wanting. That is my show for tonight. I look forward to seeing you guys on the next one. And this is Jordan Driscoll reminding you, from each according to your abilities, to each according to his or her podcast. See you guys on the next one. Join us again next week on the Oil & Gas Geopolitics Podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. To learn more, go to OGGN.com.